0: When I meet with somebody, I am able to really just dissect every sense that they're feeling when they're going through these memories. It allows them to be part of their healing process, not only for them, but for the people that they leave behind.
1: What happens when we lose our spouse unexpectedly? Why does it seem that sometimes when it rains, it pours? How does a person recover when she's facing trauma after trauma? Welcome, friends, to the fifth season of Breed But Still Me, the podcast formerly known as Heart to Heart with Michael. Our purpose is to empower the members of our community. Today's show is Remembering the Precious Moments, our guest is Jenny Muscatel. Jenny Muscatel dealt with a faith-stretching kind of growth in 2013. In April, her mother died. Two months later, her husband died unexpectedly of a heart attack at the age of 38. A few months later, her daughter, who had already had six open heart surgeries, suffered a substantial decline requiring surgery number seven, which unfortunately failed, only to be followed by surgery number eight. It rained and it poured, in the way that storms often do. But that was the year that Jenny learned to pick up the pieces she didn't know could even be broken. It was the year she clung to a raw dependence on God. It was the year she found hope in dark places. Jenny is a seasoned social worker and author, and today she's going to talk to us about the Legacy Project and how people can use writing to help them deal with life, death, and trauma. Jenny, thanks for coming to Burrit But Still Me.
0: Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you. Let's start with you telling us about your husband, Thale.
0: Bail is was and is my high school sweetheart he and i met early on in actually middle school um, i always liked him because he was very quiet very shy and to be honest would blush every time i said his name <laughs> so um, I really, really got to know him over the course of our high school. We actually separated for a little while because he went on to the military or he was going to go on to the military, but decided to go to work in another state instead. But fate reconnected us later on and together we started our life and we spent a lot of years raising our family and making plans for our future and we never had any idea whatsoever that he was in poor health. So when he passed away, it was very unexpected.
1: I know that must've been a real shock. He was also the second domino after the loss of your mother. Most of us have trouble with only one loss like that. What was it like for you?
0: Well, as you'd mentioned in the beginning, it was definitely a season of when it rains, it pours. I think a lot of times in life, that's a common theme that people can have And for me, it felt a little bit like not being able to come up for air. When we lost my mom, it was April. My husband and I had talked quite a bit about the impact that that had had on not only us, but our children. And we talked a lot about death and what if and what if something were to happen. But I didn't expect in any way, shape or form that we would be having those conversations two months prior to his untimely death.
1: I've been married for quite some time, and I think a lot of couples have these conversations from time to time. Did it seem somehow out of place?
0: It's not something that we talked about on a regular basis. Even though I'm a social worker, I spend a lot of my career in the end-of-life field helping people on a regular basis prepare for end-of-life scenarios, be it working out their final details, what funeral homes they want to use, do they have their their advanced directives in place, what family mm-hmm. members do they want to help with which things. Those are conversations that I had had personally in my career day in and day out, but had not really had with my husband. So it was a little out of place for our normal topics that we would discuss, but not really out of place given what we were experiencing. You know, when when death hits close to home, when you mm-hmm. lose somebody you love, it opens up an opportunity to talk about things that you wouldn't normally put on the plate to talk about.
1: Where I live, we have an expression, the, um, the shoemaker's son goes shoeless. So you've had this kind of conversation professionally with I don't know how many people. It's not new to you professionally. You understand all of the ins and outs of this. Were you any better prepared when it happened to you?
0: Absolutely not.
1: (laughs) Um, That's what I (laughs) thought.
0: Yes, it was so different. And here I had spent my life, um, you know, with a bachelor's degree and some master's work as well, and a lot of career experience helping people go through this very thing. And when I experienced this loss myself, I thought, oh, my gosh, everything I ever learned doesn't feel applicable and it's not that it wasn't applicable but it was that it felt ill-equipped like there could be more or like I was only scratching the surface in what I knew or had experienced or was helping other people with and when fail died I thought oh my gosh this is a much bigger deeper gaping wound that I need to find my way out of Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I have all the tools to do it has that changed the way you work now with other people it has and it hasn't changed the way that i do my work in my career Um, within my career base there's a role that i hold and i have to stick to very strict professional guidelines and standards and there's certain things i'm able to do and certain things i'm unable to do but that being said where there's a need to kind of go deeper with people and to really help them on a level that I can't do within the realm of my social work license. I started a program called the Legacy Project, which I use to really help people on a personal level and outside of work to move forward in planning and supporting the grief process.
1: We're going to get to the Legacy Project in just a little while, but before we do, Can you share a precious memory with you and (laughs) Thale?
0: Oh my gosh. Could I share many? But one that comes to mind is when my kids were little, Thale was always the humorous one, the humorous one in our family. Oh my gosh. This man had wit that I think got sprinkled on him when he was designed and taken away from everybody else because he had so much of it. And, He could always plan ahead a story or something to make things interesting or to keep people laughing. And so when my kids were little, we had gotten them one Christmas an Nancy Drew spy kit. (laughs) (laughs) If you were ever a little girl that got a weekly reader, you will know that this was the long sought after toy that people wanted for Christmas. The kids had Christmas Eve put out cookies for Santa. And they had Oreos on the plate, as well as the milk and the, the, the carrots for the reindeer. And that night, um, Santa came, shall we say. But he didn't have the cookies waiting for him because Dale had eaten all the cookies. <laughs> so...
1: Nancy drew to the
0: rescue. Nancy drew to the rescue. (laughs) So that next morning, not only had he eaten those cookies, but he had finished off the cookies from the package as well. So that morning, the girls got up and they realized, wait a minute. I don't think Santa would have gotten into the cupboard and eaten all the rest of the cookies. So... They decide to get out Nancy Drew's kit. They have the whole place taped off like a crime scene. There's tape all <laughs> over the place before you know it. And he's denying. Not only is he denying, but he's he's throwing shade and talking about Santa being a glutton and how the plates, how, how the cookies on the plate weren't enough and that he had to go get him out of the cupboard, too. <laughs> 18 is innocence and uh meanwhile the kids are on to him and and before i know it my youngest has a pair of tweezers a a, a plastic baggie to put the evidence in so her evidence collection kit a fingerprinting um dusting going on and she pulls with her tweezers a crumb off of his shirt <laughs> labels it the guilty sweater and he was busted
2: <laughs> You are listening to Bereaved But Still Me. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our program, please send an email to Leben at michael at bereavedbutstillme.com. That's michael at bereavedbutstillme.com. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The opinions expressed in the podcast are not those of Hearts Unite the Globe, but of the hosts and guests, and are intended to spark discussion about issues pertaining to congenital heart disease or bereavement.
1: Jenny, we were talking about Thale and the precious memory that you shared, which I found just delicious. Let's talk now more about the Legacy Project and where it's going.
0: So, the Legacy Project is such a heartfelt um, program for me. I had always felt like in social work that there was something more that I wanted to do, something uh, to be part of what people were going through at a deeper level. And then after Thale's death, it became very clear what was missing. And so I started this project to really just help people who were going through either end of life themselves um, or knew somebody who was to be able to put their feelings, their memories, their life into words. So I started working with some folks from my church and there was one woman in particular that I kind of set the project in motion with and she had a brainstem tumor that would eventually take her life. And she had so many stories to share. And one of the best parts about life is living it. It's sharing all the things that you've gotten to do throughout your time. It's, it's passing on the wisdom that you've gained. It's, talking about the memories that you have and leaving those as a legacy for somebody that you're leaving behind. And what was really nice about sitting down and doing that with people and collecting their stories is one, leave them with a very captive audience. When I meet with somebody, I am able to really just dissect every sense that they're feeling when they're going through these memories. It allows them to be part of their healing process, not only for them, but for the people that they leave behind. A lot of times when families are together and they know that the end is imminent, they sit around and they share stories. But then when that person dies, they think, oh, I wish I had known this. I wish I had remembered to ask this. I also meet with a lot of people on a regular basis and I've heard from the people who are near the end of their life that they, they have that longing in their heart to have the same from the opposite direction. I wish I could have told so and so this. I don't I'm not going to get to see them again before I pass away. I I want to be able to tell A B and C to, you know, Bill Bob and Joe, you know. Yeah. Um and so that process allows them to do that. And it's such a gift for them and for the people who receive their legacy. I want to
1: be clear on this. Are you writing this down? Are you making a video? What are we doing to preserve these stories?
0: Um, So I write them in, book format, in a sense, or journal format. Um, I add them. I am a writer by nature. And so I collect these stories and, and put them onto pages in a vivid way that will help the reader, aka their their family or loved one that they're leaving behind, experience it as if they were looking through the teller's eyes.
1: Who can take part in this? What kind of people have you been working with?
0: As of right now, I've worked primarily with people within the church, but it's really something that anybody can do Mm -hmm. or take part of. And the thing is, is, you know, you don't have to it's something that anybody could do, really, you know, if, if you know somebody that's lonely and is near the end of their life and you know maybe they're far away from family maybe their family lives in another state and they don't have time to get together or share all the things they want to share and somebody wants to go be that person they can write those stories down they can they can collect them they can put them together as that person would wish and share them with the people they want them shared with and that's kind of the neat thing about it Um, for me, um, I do have a website, uh, that I focus my legacy project on and it's called Moscatellis.com. M-O-S-C-A-T-E-L-L-I-S.com. And that's where my legacy project information sits. Um, I actually just put that up on that website for submission from the public, so if somebody mm-hmm. wanted me specifically to be that person to write those, those memories down, then they would contact me that way. Um, as I mentioned, it's something that really anybody can do to help somebody that they know.
1: One of the things that I've done before, I spent the greater portion of my life so far as a filmmaker. And one of the things that was popular a few years back was to find these people and to record their stories so that future generations could watch them and not only just read about it, but but hear their voices from the past. And then we would combine it with photographs of places they had been, things that they owned. The truth is that now filmmaking has been so democratized, anybody, even with a phone, anyone can shoot high quality video. Editing software is freely available all over the internet. Anyone can do this. And I think it's a great idea that you're out there asking people to submit that, you know, who wants help that you can do it for them or with them. And I think that's a great idea. What are your plans for the future? Is this going to grow into something larger?
0: Well, actually, one of the things that's going on right now is one of my first legacy projects writers, I should say, because it is her story, Uh, we are going to be turning her story into an actual book uh, that will be released later on. We're still working on the final details of that. Um, It's an amazing story. What a story she has to share and what an honor it has been to capture that for her in written word on, on, I say paper, but I guess that shows my age.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Can we get a preview?
0: Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Coming soon.
1: You know, I love it when um, you do these projects. Uh, I spent the majority of my adult life as a filmmaker, and sometimes you get these projects where we put it on videotape. Um, again, that shows my age. We record them on video. We, And so that when the family in the future will watch this, they will also see and hear the person, which is has some value um we'll also see photographs mixed in with the things they're talking about places they've been things that they've acquired it's all very lovely and it's wonderful when every now and then something falls in your lap that you didn't expect that's that's book worthy Mm
0: -hmm. so uh,
1: you won't tease it for us now i get it but i'm i'm excited to see see what's coming
0: that when it comes and i can tease it you'll be one of the first to know
1: If you've enjoyed listening to this program, please visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.org, and make a contribution. This program is a presentation of Hearts Unite the Globe and is part of the HUG Podcast Network. Hearts Unite the Globe is a nonprofit organization devoted to providing resources to the congenital heart defect community to educate, empower, and enrich the lives of our community members. If you would like access to free resources pertaining to the CHD community, please visit our website at CongenitalHeartDefects.com for information about CHD, hospitals that treat CHD survivors, summer camps for CHD families, and much, much more. In addition to being a widow and a social worker, you're an author. And in this segment, I'd like to talk about some of your writing projects. So before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your memoir, The Journey of Faith and an Open Heart.
0: The journey of faith in an open heart is my first published works. It's one that I wrote and started writing when my daughter was about two years old. She's now 25. So it was a work in progress about a 20 year work in progress. And what's neat about that is it was the story unfolding. And that was in part why it took so long to finish. And when we write about real life situations, the stories that we live they carry on for a very long time um with that book it's about my daughter she was born with hypoplastic left heart syndrome and she had eight open heart surgeries over the course of her life and it was a a, a long struggle uh during her senior year of high school or at the start of it was the year that my mom passed away and the year that my husband died. And it was following their deaths about six months later that my daughter needed her seventh and eighth open heart surgery. So it was a very trying year. And, um, you know, as we talked about earlier, when it rains, it pours, it sure did. And I had felt that coming down all around. But I felt it was so important to more than ever to get those words and that story on paper while it was raw, while it was real, while it was, and and believe me, it it continues to be real, but while it was fresh, so that other people who were experiencing the same thing could, could at least hear my journey. And if nothing more, maybe it would give them comfort, hope, uh, let them know that somebody else has maybe been there, or at least through part of what they might be going through.
1: You're documenting a a 20-year journey. Do you feel, or is it apparent, the changes that you must have gone through during those 20 years?
0: Oh, definitely. It was actually interesting in writing the story. I I looked at myself as a young mom I had my daughter when I was 19 years old and I look back as I'm writing from that point of view and I think oh my gosh I was feisty for a young girl but I had it together (laughs) and so I think back like wow okay I, I pulled off more than I ever thought I would have or could have. Um, But that's, that's life, I think. And, you know, we often think I I can't do this, and I can't do that. And there's just no way it's possible, especially when we're going through the storms. But there's a look back period that makes you go, oh, my gosh, I I don't know how, but I did it. And so that that definitely came up when I was looking back at some of those, those younger years. (laughs)
1: Well, I I think one of the first realizations I had when my daughter was born with her heart difficulties, I think one of the first things I realized is, um, you know, I'm either going to fail at this miserably or I'm going to have to come through. And of course you come through because you're a parent, that's your job. Mm -hmm. But I also felt immediately this is going to show me or this is already showing me what I'm capable of in ways that I never thought of before. And I think that's very empowering. When you share that story with people who are just beginning, it gives them a little bit of light at the end of that first part of the tunnel that <clears throat> I'm going to get through this because I have to, and therefore I will, and I will along the way learn about my strengths. And that's very, very empowering. So it's a wonderful thing that you've done with that with that journal. I think many of us have tried or thought about doing it, and not as many reach the end of that with the journal intact. So I appreciate that you've done that.
0: thank you. I understand and agree with what you're saying in that regard. And, you know, the other part of that is, too, is when you're going through an illness of a child, when you're going through a death that you're experiencing, uh, one of the things that comes up often is finding people to relate to, not being able to be or not feeling like you can be honest about what it is you are going through, you know, people will mm-hmm. see you in the grocery store, they'll see you at church, they'll see you at work and they'll say, How are you doing? And they care and they mean well, they do, but your answer is often shaded over. Ah, you know, I've had good days, I've had bad days, I've I'd be right. I've, I'm I'm hanging in there because you don't know what to say,
1: and well, see, Jenny, you've given them the wrong answer. They ask you how you're doing because they expect you say, "I'm just great." How are you? <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, if I had to go backward, the one thing that I always tell people that I would have done differently was have given the honest answer. I would have said, you know what? I've been up since three in the morning and I can't sleep and my guts hurt and I can't eat. And, you know, it's awful and I'm doing the best I can. And I don't know how I'm doing it, but I'm here. And, and I would have through that answer, been able to see, One who could be comfortable with that answer.
1: Yeah, you'd find out who your friends are pretty
0: quick. (laughs) And who's not so comfortable with it. Exactly. It doesn't mean that they're not, that they don't care. Just some people are able to meet you in your discomfort and some people aren't. And when you go through these struggles, you really have to surround yourself with people who can be comfortable in your discomfort.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. You really need, you need to find your friends quickly. So what else you, what are you working on right now? What's going on?
0: I'm working on another book called Dying Love. And uh, it's almost a, a prequel, in a sense, to life before everything that, you know, happened with the journey of faith in an open heart. So uh, I, I talk a, a lot about the loss of my husband in that one on a different, more emotional slash romantic level and about life before all the trauma. And it's got kind of a neat twist at the end, (laughs) but I'll leave that that for uh, future. Yeah, so that's an upcoming project.
1: Note to self, Jenny's coming back at least once. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) As we're reaching the end here, what have you learned over the years in living with so much loss and how writing has played a role in your post-traumatic growth?
0: Over the years, I think one of the things that i've learned the most about loss and there are many um but the one that i would focus in on today is that you're not alone and i know anna host of heart to heart says that frequently that's kind of her tagline and she talks about that but it's really true and you know if we can surround ourselves with other people who have been through what we've been through and it might not be exact but we can relate because people relate over their struggles people relate over what's real people relate over what's deep and what's true and can they be hard conversations yes um, doesn't mean we always want to sit in heartache or sorrow no we like to have fun we like to you know be distracted from it sometimes too you know all things are helpful at different points but but it's it's really important to be able to just connect with someone on that real level you know i mean if i talked to you today and i said hey guess what i just bought a new car and i just bought a new house you'd say yay that's great and you'd probably be happy for me but if i said to you hey this is what's going on in my day and this is where i'm at and these are the emotions i'm having you're going to probably meet me where i'm at and say gosh and connect with me on a more personal level so we do we do connect over our struggles and if we can do that we can also celebrate our triumphs and victories together
1: i think so i think it's one of the most important things that we can learn from loss is that there is a continuation that things do somehow work themselves into something malleable enough that's nor- that we- normal enough that we can take with us and, and proceed and and go ahead. And sometimes I think people expect us to be permanently upset or permanently sad. And we're not. We have our moments. But we learn to get through. And we learn to get through. And it's okay to smile. I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons. It's okay to smile. It's even okay to be okay. Absolutely. Jenny, I want to thank you so much for being with us. Um, You have been a delightful guest on so many levels. Uh, It is clear to me that we'll be together again on more programs. We have so much more to talk about, things that we haven't even touched or scratched the surface of. And I I hope you'll join us again, please.
0: I absolutely love to. It's been my privilege to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you. And that concludes this episode of Bereaved But Still Me. I want to thank Jenny Muscatel for sharing her books, her projects, her experiences, and everything with us. Please join us at the beginning of the month for a brand new podcast. I'll talk with you soon, and until then, please remember, moving forward is not moving away.
2: Thank you for joining us. We hope you have felt supported in your grief journey. Bereaved But Still Me is a monthly podcast, and a new episode is released on the first Thursday of each month. You can hear our podcast anywhere you normally listen to podcasts at any time. Join us again next month for a brand new episode of Bereaved But Still Me.